Greetings, folks, and welcome to episode 60 of the Far Beyond Metal podcast. I'm your host and guide on this metal journey, Daniel Cordova. In this episode, Buzz Osborne from the Melvins discusses his first band, and I recommend Death is a Business. Before all that, I chat with Lindsay Schoolcraft. Lindsay is perhaps best known for her work as the keyboard player in Cradle of Filth. However, over much of the last decade, she has also had her own solo career. On October 7th, Lindsay released her debut album called Martyr. This is a diverse album that also includes Zen from Neable Viscars and former Evanescence drummer Rocky Gray. Lindsay and I discuss a new album playing heavy metal harp, Bjork, and a lot more. So before we dive in to my interview, here is some of Dangerous Game from Lindsay Schoolcraft's Martyr. You've had your own musical endeavor for quite some time, but this is your first full album. Uh, how does Martyr differentiate itself from something like Rushing Through the Sky or any of your other projects? Well, I knew that I always wanted to go into more of like a heavy rock direction. And I never like I don't play guitar and I don't really understand drums and beats. I mean, I should and I would love to, but I don't. Um, so, you know, Martyr was something where Rocky Gray, who, you know, enter the Mr. Grammy Award-winning ex-drummer of Evanescence, he came in and he was like, you know, hey, let's work on music together. I'm like, hey, do you want to, like, help me with my solo album? And he was, like, totally all for it. Um, so Martyr's, like, a step up, and it's more polished, and it's more thought out, and it's got, you know, proper orchestration and choirs, and, um, you know, it's a step up from my old stuff, especially my first EP, because my first EP, I was just really finding myself and my sound, and I feel like it was very influenced and reflective of like the symphonic metal scene at the time. Um, you know, with like within temptation, they wish all that fun stuff. So, um, you know, I really wanted to step up my game on this album and I think we did. And I'm really grateful like how, for how it all happened. And now that I have this sound, so pretty happy about that. Awesome. How long have you been like writing these songs or piecing them together? Ooh, um, stranger and into the night are like a decade old. Yikes. <laughs> um, yeah, and then the rest of them are somewhere between, like, you know, four four to two years old type of thing. They were a little bit newer. There was some on the album that were, like, entirely new as well. And uh, how, how, do you, how are you, like, revisiting those songs now after a decade for some of these? Are they, like, do they feel like they're written by a different person, or is it still someone you recognize? Oh, yeah, it's still the same stuff. It just, you know, it was updated and, like, um, brought to kind of that level that I, I knew Rocky would bring it to. Plus, I just feel like they needed to be, you know, it was their time and they fit the mood and the theme of this album. And they were songs that I just, I didn't want to, like, let go of. I still felt that, like, they needed a little bit of something extra. So it felt good. The process on the songs went pretty quickly because we already knew what was written and what was there. And we didn't have to think about it too much. We just had to make them fresh. <laughs> and then Evanescence is a name I see that pops up for an influence for you a lot. Uh, how is it working with Rocky? Because he was on like the, you know, pinnacle Evanescence tracks. 
Right. Um, great. He's an awesome guy. He's so easy to work with. Um, he's hardworking and efficient and, like, really just loves making music. You know, um, I think there was, like, something somewhere said a long time ago where this label was slapped on him. Like, he was only in it for the money. And it's like, I don't think so. I think Rocky is one of those people who truly loves making music. And he really inspires and motivates me. And he was so easy to work with. So easy to work with. And how did you want at meeting him? We found each other on Facebook. And it was really funny because... He's like, oh, my God, I'm a huge Cradle Stills fan. How did you find me? And I'm like, dude, I've been following your career since I was in high school. And he's like, oh, you're a fan. I'm like, yes, I'm, like, a big fan, and I'm trying to keep my composure right now. So we were, like, fans of each other, which is so cool. That's super cool. Um, why, mm-hmm. why the title Martyr? Well, um, I didn't really have uh, a name for the album at the time, and I had a bit of a health scare when I was writing, like when I was finishing up writing most of the music for the album, like lyrics and melodies and stuff. And that was about 2017, and I looked at like the the, the genuine theme that was like like the collective theme that was happening in the songs, and a lot of it was just really standing up for, standing by what you believe in. And I think that's really important. And at the time, you know, the doctors were like, well, you know, we may have caught this too late and you may only have three months to live. And I'm like, well, if I only have three months to live, this is like the last thing that I want to be known for. And I was kind of like, I was like, oh, martyr's perfect. You know, you die for what you believe in. And the theme, I just thought it was really appropriate with, uh, you know, the overall theme that was just strung throughout the album. And I just felt like it was a fit and it really fit the aesthetic and the stories and the sounds. So I really had no issue calling the album Martyr when I looked at the big picture. And uh, how is your health now? Are you doing okay? Oh yeah, much better now. Thank you. Everything's good. Um, you know, life always throws things at you and you just, you should only take on as much as you can. Um, and uh, I've been really you know, I think that the reason I was so sick is because I wasn't taking care of my mental health at the end of the day. And now I think that's like a super important thing that needs to be looked at. And a lot of people avoid and, and don't, they neglect it. And I'm one of those people who refuses to do that now because I've seen what it can push you to. Good, good. Um, on the new album, there's a track called See the Light that you did with Zen from uh, Nabla Viscaris. Did you two meet on that tour with Cradle and Butcher Babies? Actually, um, Zen and I have been friends for a really long time, uh, and we also have a side project together. Um, and he, you know, Nabla Scares opened for us back in 2013 when I was on tour with And he stayed in touch. Like, he wrote me, and he stayed in touch. And I feel really bad because he asked me to work on music together, and then I blew him off. And then we went on tour. Neo and Cradle went on tour later. And then... I asked him and then we laughed. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is hilarious. So now we have a, we have like this black metal project called Antiqua, which is going into the studio again next month. And um, yeah, we've always been really good friends, you know, and I just, I was writing this song and I was like, dude, I want your voice on this. And, you know, he, a week later, he made it sound fantastic. And I'm just so happy he could be a part of it. Awesome. I, I love that band and he's got such a unique kind of roar to him and, it was, it was. I didn't realize he was there, and then I knew it immediately. Oh, I know. People just, they know it's him when they hear it. It's hilarious.
That was some of See the Light from Lindsay Schoolcraft, a track that also features the unmistakable Zen from Ney Abloviscaris. I'll have more with Lindsay in just a moment, but first, this is my first band. Every musician has to start somewhere, and in this episode, King Buzzo from the Melvins discusses his heavy origins. I've really only ever been in this band. Yeah? I didn't, I didn't play... I started playing guitar until I was about 18. And White Bloomers. I didn't know that about you. 17, maybe. And within a couple of years, we were playing shows. Cool. Two, three years max. From the time I started playing guitar until I was writing songs and playing in a band. What was the, was the first song you learned? I don't remember. No? I mean, um, maybe something like... Uh, I had an acoustic guitar in like 10th grade, I think, and played um, like songs like uh, uh, House of the Rising Sun type stuff, sort of. Yeah. Um, but that didn't really do anything for me. You know, when I was a senior in high school, it was when I started playing electric guitar. I didn't have, I didn't have that much, you know. By the time I got enough money to buy one. Um, and then I started messing around and figured out, once I finally figured out how to make it work. What's funny to me now is because we do lots of, lots and lots and lots of different kinds of tunings. You know? Some of them are my own design and some are, you know, like open G, open E, a uh, little open E, uh, open G, drop D, um, C, yeah, C, G, and just a bunch of different things. Double A, open E tuning, you can start playing almost immediately. It was hard for me to start playing music because, yeah, if you have a standard guitar tuning, it's hard. You don't know how chords work. But, I mean, years and years later, I learned what open C tuning was. Right. And I... Why didn't somebody tell you? Arpeggios are super easy on it. It's crazy. Right. Yeah. Nobody, nobody... I don't know why that's not the first thing that somebody hands you. There's an open E tuning guitar, open E tuning guitar. And you can play everything, pretty much. Now, I just, I love that kind of stuff. I love alternative tunings, weird, whatever. I just view it as a, it's like a, you know, it's a really strange instrument. That's strangest, maybe the strangest instrument. Guitar is such a weird, especially electric guitar is such a weird thing. It's a, um, um, how much you can manipulate it. Guys like Hendrix proved that, you know. Um, it's the Indian, not the arrow, you know. Really, you, you could have given him anything. Or Pete Townsend, or any of those guys, they would have all done really well with any guitar, any amp. You know, it doesn't make any difference. And as time has went on, we've realized that more and more and more. You know, we could go into any studio um, with any kind of equipment, with any kind of guitars and drums, and make something. We could make it work. We could figure something out. I'm, I'm absolutely sure of it. You know, and I think that that's. Um, um, a big lesson was learning that you know it's not about um, it's it's from you. It's like it's not you know how you do it, the the format. None of that makes any difference. You, people have made crappy recordings on every format. I mean, some genres that's the whole idea. Early black yeah. metal, it's just yeah. static. So yeah, yeah, I mean, what is good? It's all arbitrary. Right. I don't know. I think our interview just came full circle. We're back to the, the whole artist thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's all good.
The Melvins are constantly touring and releasing music. Keep up with them over at themelvins.net. Now before I wrap my chat with Lindsay, here is some of her work with Cradle of Filth. From the album Cryptorania, The Seductiveness of Decay, this is Death and the Maiden. Hades, I've slept delightfully within these open arms. Plucked, I'm a magnet to your charms. Kind of ch- changing gears a little bit. Uh, harp is a rare one for heavy music. When did you start playing the harp and like integrating it into into your your work? Well, I started saving for it because they're not cheap. Um, I started saving for one back in two thousand and nine, um, and I knew for a long time before that that I wanted to play because I had been studying a little bit of folk music under my vocal coach when I was doing my training at the time, and I was like, you know. I think this is like really something that I want to pursue. And then I found Bjork's Vespertine album, which is like a winter album and it's just covered in harp. And it was like, yeah, this is, this is amazing. I, I would love to do this. So I started saving and it took me a long time. I saved like a couple hundred dollars a month. And then I finally got my harp in, I want to say 2010. Yeah, I got it in 2000. Oh my God. I can't believe it's almost been 10 years. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I started working on it and trying to understand it. It was very uncomfortable at first. Uh, and I got lessons from a few classical harpists, which I think classical theory is really, like, it really kicks your ass. Um, it makes you into a good musician, and it also makes your fingers bleed and makes you want to cry, but it's, it's worth it. Um, and then, you know, I decided, hey, you know, I would love, like, I would love to just do something with the electric harp. And I noticed that at the time there's a few models of electric harp coming out. So I did my research and then I did like a fan funding campaign and my fans, like in exchange for some really exclusive fun merch, um, they helped me buy my electric harp. And, uh, you know, I had been working on that and I just think it's such an interesting instrument that not enough people give it credit for, you know. It doesn't always have to be angelic and airy and light. Like it can be a really dark accompaniment to your voice and that's kind of what I'm trying to show people and when you play an electric harp are you running that through like guitar pedals like Tim and Neo does yeah yeah I do I I finally found I'm waiting for I finally found a way to do distortion without it being muddy I'm just waiting on a harp uh, sorry a pedal in the mail right now and then uh, I think I've got my pedal board sorted and I can move forward it's super rad Mm-hmm. Are you a fan of Joanna Newsom? She's like the only harp person I can name, but uh, I know she I've seen has her a live. weird angle on I it. I saw her, yeah, she's amazing. I saw her open for Bjork, um, and uh, she was fantastic. Like, definitely, like, it's all very airy-fairy and happy, and it's like, I'm the queen of darkness, but it's, so it's not my cup of tea, but I do appreciate her talent and think she is fantastic. And my next question is actually about Bjork, because I, I saw her in a list of idols in life on the Cradle of Filth website. Yeah. How'd you first get into Bjork? Because I love Bjork, and I always get kind of weird looks for it. Oh, I just, you know, there's still this record store. We have this new and used swapping, um, like, CD store in downtown Oshawa called Deja Vu Discs. They've been open forever, and I hope we never lose them. And about that time, 10 years ago, I was just like... I'm looking for new music. This is what I'm into. At the time, I was getting into Portishead. 
And the guy at the shop, he was lovely. I don't even think he works there anymore. He was like, oh, well, if you like Portishead, you'd love Bjork. And I'm like, yeah, I keep hearing a lot about Bjork. Like, can you recommend some albums for me? And I'm so happy he recommended Vesper Time. There was a copy of Vesper Time there used, $6. It was in pretty bad shape, but the disc worked, so who cared? And... I bought it and I went home and I think it was around winter time and I just spent the weekend inside. I think that was about the time I was trying to find a name for my old band and I was getting that off the ground and I heard that album. Yeah, that would have been like 2008. Damn. Uh, and I was just like, this is, this is amazing. Like it just opened my eyes to a whole new world of like music and what music can be and what it doesn't have to be and that there's like no limitations and I just from there I just became such a big Bjork fan even as a vocalist she just doesn't have any rules she does what she wants to do and I, I love that about her I, I honestly think my favorite vocal performance ever is her and the song Hunter from yes oh my god it like every time I listen to it, it gives me chills and I right I, I've yet to see her live what, what era did you see her because I know she's got like a four-person flute now like I don't I don't know what tour it was. It was before that. I think it was the, uh, which tour was it? I saw her back in, I want to say 2015. I went to Pitchfork Uh, in Chicago. I went with my sister and my friend, Jeffy. And uh, we just, it was fantastic. Unfortunately, she got thrown off the stage super quick. There was a windstorm and she had to cut the last two songs of her set. But I got to see Pagan Poetry live and I was just bawling my eyes out. Um, she had a full choir with her, and she had, like, a Mongolian brass section, which makes sense for her music. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it's just incredible live. Like, I would love to go see her live again. She's just, I really, I'm sad I miss the days of her doing orchestras and the Royal Opera House performances. Like, if anyone could ever find me that on DVD, that would be, like, everything that I've ever wanted to own. <laughs> But yeah, she just she just uh, she's such an incredible artist. She just does things really big and loud, and then disappears for a bit. <laughs> Could you see yourself covering her? Because I know you've done a handful of covers. Mm-hmm. I actually, um, I do cover uh, Yaga on the harp. Oh, that's rad. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's something that I'm hopefully going to try to track. I mean, I won't look for the permissions for it, but it'd be something nice extra extra to have. Nice. <laughs> Uh, speaking of covers, The Dead of Winter includes a cover of Madonna's Frozen. Um, it's kind of Heck a deeper yeah. cut compared to some of her material that people know. Uh, what drew you to that con- that song to cover? Oh, you know, it just felt like it, well, the whole theme of that EP was like winter and death. And it was kind of like, well, you know, it was like a little winter song EP of original stuff. And then, well, two original songs and then I had that, but like. Frozen has a really special place in my heart because it was kind of like my introduction to gothic culture at a very young age. I just saw Frozen on TV and I was like, my God, that woman is like a Disney villainess, but like she's so pretty and just the colors and the landscape and the sound. I'll just never forget it. It's always been my favorite Madonna song. And when I pitched it to my team at the time, which is still my team today, my producer and my orchestra guy, they were like, yeah, let's do it. Like that would be really fun. So I'm glad we, we took it on. Did you uh, check out, I think it's Madam X, her album from this year? No, I have not. I've been a little bit out on Madonna, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I can see that. I, I've heard not good things. I just want to know if you had an angle on it. 
No, I'm sure if you ask my friend Jeffy, he could give you the full report. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm going to go ahead and start wrapping, and I'm going to ask you a question you've probably been asked a million, billion times. How did you first get in contact with Cradle of Filth? (laughs) Oh, well, just luck. Pure, sheer luck. I don't even make sense as a hire across the pond. It doesn't make sense, but here I am. Uh, A friend of mine was asked to do it, and she's like, I can't. So they forwarded me, and they picked me, and that... That was it. I quit university at the time, and, you know, here I am. It's crazy. What were you studying? Um, or- Orchestra theory and opera singing. Opera oh, cool. was my major. Yeah, theory and orchestral was my minor. I don't think I'd ever go back to university. It honestly, universities are like a business, and you're just a number, and there's all this extra fluff they expect you to learn to be an experienced student. And I'm like, guys, I've been to five continents, like... I think I'm as good as experience <laughs> is going to get. So if I do continue my education, I'll just go back through the conservatory. I mean, I, w- I went to college and I now work at a, behind the scenes at a university and I can, can uh, confirm. Yep. It's pretty, pretty much. Yeah. Business. That's how it felt. Yep. <laughs> yeah. It's business as usual. Right. <laughs> Alrighty. Well, thank you for talking with me. And again, thank you for uh, amending your day to, to speak with me and uh, yeah, I, I enjoy the new album and uh, best of luck with all your endeavors. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Of course. Order by Lindsay Schoolcraft is out now and you can pick up a copy over at schoolcraftmusic.bandcamp.com and keep up with Lindsay over at facebook.com slash schoolcraftofficial. Then of course, all the places you'll find Cradle of Filth. Now before I wrap my episode, I'm going to recommend the wildly interesting band that reached out to me called Death is a Business. New York's Death is a Business call themselves heavy metal with a identity crisis and that description is so apt. The band is all over the place in the best way as they incorporate jazz, funk, and more into their metal sound. So from their album Not Infinite, which if you're listening to this on the day it comes out, drop today, October 31st, 2019, here is River Sticks in its entirety.
Not Infinite, the album by Death is a Business is out now. To find it, head to Apple Music, Spotify, and all those normal places, or deathisabusiness.com. As always, if you'd like to speak with me, you may head over to farbeyondmetalpodcast.com, or you can go to facebook.com slash farbeyondmetal. There, you can recommend bands to me if you're in a band. Tell me about your band. If you want to just talk, let's talk. Why not? And the theme song is Far Beyond Metal by the band Strapping Young Lad from their album The New Black, courtesy of Century Media Records and Devin Townsend himself. Thank you for listening. A Catbox Production.